Hey, so if you grew up in any kind of religious environment, regardless of, of what kind of re- religious environment it was, you probably at some point heard a phrase that went something like this, God loves you just the way you are. Anybody ever heard that phrase, like just a show of hands, if you heard that God loves you just the way you are? Okay, so we're, some of us have heard that. And regardless of where you're at on the religious spectrum, we all certainly hope that that is the case, right? We hope that that's true, that God loves you just the way you are. And Christians, they have always believed this. You should know this. Christians have always believed that through, since, since the beginning of, of the church. We've always believed that. And the reason we have always believed that is because in the New Testament, Jesus modeled this, and essentially he said this, you know, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, yeah. And the implication is that God so loved the world the way the world was. And that God loved the people in the world the way the people in the world were before they, before they made any change or, or knew anything about God. And so, so this is true. And again, Christians, we've always believed this. But this is only half the equation, though. Because God, who invites us to refer to Him as, as a heavenly father or, or the perfect parent, really, like, like any good parent, God does love you as his child. And because he loves you as his child, he loves you just the way that you are. But he loves you way too much to leave you just the way you are. And so as we're going to discover today, if necessary, God, like a good parent, is willing to hurt your feelings, to, to get you to move on from the way that you are so that you can become everything that you can be and could be and everything that you should be and everything that God knows that you have the potential to be. And that's a good thing. And today we're, we're in part two of our series, Paper Walls. And as we said last time, there are some things that we should carry with us from one season of life to the next. There are some things that we want to, some good habits. If, if we can get a little more volume out of this, please. There, there's some habits that we ought to pick up with us and, and take with us from one season of life to the next. But there are also some things that we should leave behind. There's some things that we should should not carry with us. And one of those things this series is specifically talking about is excuses. Excuses are, are strange things. Excuses are, are, like what we've said, are kind of like paper walls. That, that from a distance, they look like real obstacles. They look like things that are really keeping you from, um, from moving forward, from being able to, to do what it is that God wants you to do, being able to do whatever it is that you want to do. Hey, Matt. Sorry, can we just throw a little in the monitor here? That'll, that'll help, I think. But, but excuses, there we go, there we go. Excuses are, are kind of a strange thing. Because to us, from a distance, they actually look like reasons. Now, now if you think about it, there's a very fine line between an excuse and a reason. One, one disguises itself as the other, and then over time in our conversation and our responses to people, our excuses that sound like reasons, they become our becauses. And all of us, our, our conversations give us away in this. All of us, every single one of us have a, a short list, or, or I don't know, maybe for you it's a long list, uh, of becauses that we, ret- re- we retreat to or that we hide behind. You know, somebody says, hey, why don't you exercise? Well, because. Or why don't you eat better? Well, because. Why, why haven't you? Or why do you always? Why don't you start? Why don't you finish? Why did you quit? Why did you start that to begin with? And whenever these questions come up, we never say, well, well, I don't know. Right? Because we're rational people. We have a reason for it. And our reason always begins with, 
because. So we have a list of becauses. But the truth is, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is that our becauses aren't always the causes. There's a difference between a because and the actual cause. Most of the time it's an excuse masquerading as a cause. It's actually just a paper wall, a manufactured cause that, that, uh, that we've created in our minds. And our language tips us off to this. because, And here's how you know this. When we catch somebody else trying to masquerade an excuse as a reason, what do we say? We say, well, you're just making stuff up. Or would you just quit making excuses, right? How many of you have had that conversation with your kids? Your kids have given you a reason that they think is a really good reason, a legitimate reason in their mind. And they tell it to you. And you say, would you quit making stuff up? Like, that's an excuse. That's, that's garbage, right? We don't accept that from, from other people. And yet, for some reason, for some because, we accept that in ourselves. The truth is that our excuses are really just lies that we tell, tell ourselves about ourselves. And then we believe them. We believe those lies. And so last week, I asked this pesky question that we're going to come back to throughout this series for the next couple of weeks. And the question is this. Is, is it possible? Is it possible that some of, maybe not all of, but, but that some of your well-rehearsed reasons, that your becauses are actually just excuses? That the things that, that your, your go-to becauses, the things that, that you automatically come up with and you automatically say when somebody asks you about something, that it, they're really just paper walls. They're, they're just paper walls that are constructive things that maybe somebody told you a long time ago or, or maybe something that somebody called you a long time ago, things that people have labeled you. Is it possible that you've actually invented reasons to defend certain behaviors or certain reactions or certain overreactions? You know, it's why do you always react that way? Why do you always say that? Why do you always respond that way? And the answer is that what? Well, because, because, because. And the reason you should answer that question, and the reason we should all really answer this question, is because we need to know. And there are several reasons that we need to know. If for no other reason, we need to know because other people know. Other people know when we're trying to pass off an excuse as a reason, don't they? They see right through it. Like we just talked about a mango. We see through it with our kids. Other people, when you do that, they see through it. They, they see right through it. The other reason to know is that, that people who make excuses, think about this, people who make excuses rarely make much of a difference. You don't know of really any successful person in life, in any facet of life, that has been successful, that has continuously made excuses for their behavior or their, their lack of action, Right? rarely do, do people who make excuses make a, a big difference. And we don't want to get to the end of life and have missed an opportunity to make a difference because you cowered behind and you lived behind something that you manufactured and considered an actual obstacle, that you, you just lived behind a paper wall. And then there's another reason. There's another reason why we should face up to the fact that we're creating these imaginary obstacles. And if you're a Jesus follower, and my assumption is that you're here today or you're watching online today because you're a Jesus follower, there's a really big reason because there's a relationship between your ability, all right, between my ability, not, not our willingness, but our ability. There's actually a relationship between our ability to follow Jesus and our willingness to acknowledge our excuses, our paper walls. Because here's what happens. Over time, our excuses become bosses. Excuses become bosses. They tell us what we can do and what we can't do, what we, what we should try and what we shouldn't try, who we should approach and who we shouldn't approach, and, and what opportunities we should take advantage of and what opportunities that we shouldn't take advantage of. 
our excuses become little kings, little tyrants, little little lords that we can actually that, that that actually become the Lord of our life. And we can't follow Jesus if we're following excuses, if we're willing to make excuses, if we're always making excuses. We will never follow Jesus to our full capacity if we're always making excuses about why we can't do this or why we can do that or why we shouldn't try this or why we shouldn't do that. It, it's It'll never happen. And so, of course, it would make sense that if God is our Heavenly Father and has invited us to refer to Him as as Heavenly Father, doesn't it make sense that our Heavenly Father would call us out on that? That He would would call out our bluff. He would say, say, hey, He would say to us, just like we would say to our kids and our good friends when when they're doing that, say, doesn't it make sense that our Heavenly Father would say, hey, stop making excuses Stop making excuses, not because I'm angry with you, but because I know what you have the potential to do. I know what you have the potential to become. I know what lies on the other side of this paper wall that you're living behind. So stop living behind these paper walls and stop running to these well-rehearsed becauses. And here's something that might take you by surprise, or, or maybe just shock you a little bit. If you take this idea, of, uh, this idea that we're talking about, and you follow Jesus through the Gospels, you'll be shocked at how many times he actually calls people out in this regard. And here's the other thing. He rarely calls them out gently. As strange as it's going to sound, sometimes Christ, when you read through the Gospels, comes across very unchristlike when he sees someone who is, who's making, uh, trying to make an excuse and trying to excuse their behavior for whatever, and he just calls them out. And let me give you a quick, couple of quick examples. One day, and, you, and if you grew up in church, you, you know this story. One day, Jesus is going along, and he either recognizes someone or, or sees someone, but for whatever reason, he actually invites this man to become his follower. He stops and has a conversation with him, and he says, hey, come be my follower. In which we hear that in our 21st century mindset, and we think, hey, that's really cool. You know, like in, in church language, we would say, you know, invite Jesus into your heart and say a prayer and all of that kind of stuff. And, and hey, I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to act a certain way on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, I'm going to act a different way. That's another sermon for another time. But, but that's, what, that's not what Jesus is asking this man to do. He's, he's inviting him to be a follower. Think about this. In first century, what he's really inviting him to do is, to, is that, hey, when I, Jesus, pick up and leave this town, I want you to gather your stuff and I want you to follow me to the next town. And I want you to go from town to town to town. And I want you to be a part of my inner circle, my, my core group of people. That's what Jesus is inviting this man to do. It's, it's the opportunity of a lifetime. And I don't know if you remember how this, this gentleman responds to this invitation. But here's what the text says. It says, you know, he says, hey, I'd love to. It's a great idea. But, there's always a but, isn't it? It says, but Lord, first... Let me go and bury my father. Which we hear that, and that sounds reasonable, right? I mean, that, that sounds like a legitimate reason. Hey, you know, it's okay. You, you need to bury your father. So today's, you know, today's Tuesday is the funeral on Thursday. Is, you know, is visitation Wednesday, funeral Thursday, Friday, you know, Saturday. When, when is the funeral? Except in ancient times, this would indicate to us that his father wasn't dead yet. So, you know, we think about it and we read it through, the, through our, our filters, through the lens of how we experience life. And we know when somebody dies, there's a visitation and a funeral and there's a couple of days in between. But in ancient culture, when somebody died, you buried them immediately. They, they were, they, if they died that morning, they were, they were buried by that afternoon. 
And so this guy's not walking around, you know, listening to Jesus give a TED Talk or something and while his dad's on his deathbed at home. That's not the case here. His dad, his, his, he might be sick, he might not be sick. He might live for uh, five days, he might live for another five years. We don't know. But, but we do know that this man's dad isn't dead. So this, let, let me go bury my father. Jesus sees right through it. He says it's an excuse. It's clearly an excuse. And, and here's the thing. This is an opportunity that is that has presented itself to this guy. And when Jesus leaves and goes to the next town, that opportunity is going to be gone. And so, so Jesus, recognizing that this man is giving an excuse, he, he calls him out on it. And, and we don't know why this man would give this excuse. I think clearly he feared something. Bible scholars think that, that maybe he feared losing out his inheritance. You know, if he wasn't at home when his, when his father passed away, that he, he might lose out, his, his brothers specifically. Um, but siblings would take advantage of the situation, and, and they, would, they would cheat him out of, of whatever his inheritance was. But, but we don't know. But, but regardless, what Jesus says is, hey, I'm asking you to follow me now. I'm not asking you to not come home when your father dies. I'm not asking you to abandon your family or to be irresponsible. I'm asking you to do something now, and you're using your father as an excuse because Jesus knew that, that later would be too late. And isn't that true of most opportunities? Opportunities come, and opportunities go, and Jesus would be gone. Now, if, if you grew up in the church again, you might remember Jesus' reply. Do you remember how he, how he responded when you think about it? It's really kind of unchrist like when you think about it, at least in our perspective. He says what? He says, let the dead bury their dead. Yeah. Can you really imagine anything more harsh than that? Let the dead bury their own dead. But you, he says, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's like he just calls this guy out right in front of everybody. He says, you're making excuses. I'm inviting you into something big, and your fear of missing out is robbing you of something that's on the other side of this excuse. And you're going to look back one day. And this is, this is true for a lot of us, I think. You're going to look back one day, and you're going to regret your decision for the rest of your life. And Jesus says, so yeah, I'm going to be harsh. I'm calling you out because I don't want you to miss out. Because this opportunity is going to come, and then it's going to go. And this opportunity is going to go when I go. And do you remember, just a side note here, do you remember what this guy's name was? This conversation that Jesus is having, do you remember who it was? No. No, because he didn't seize the opportunity. And because he didn't seize the opportunity, he's, he's little more than a footnote in a conversation. We don't even know what this guy's name was. He, he's, he's that excusable. That we don't, even, we don't even know what his name is. And so after, after Jesus calls him out, there's another guy in the audience who, who hears this exchange. And maybe he got a little bit excited and he's just not thinking everything through all the way. But he raises his hand and he says, hey Lord, hey I'll come be your fo follower. I'll, I'll follow you. And so there's a guy who's volunteering to do this. And, and he says, look, I, this guy's not going to. If he won't, I will. And then I think probably reality set in for this guy. And he maybe looked around and he... He, he saw what he, the words that Jesus had just said to this guy had finally caught up with his ears and with his mind. And he looks around and he kind of sees the other disciples and they're kind of probably a motley looking crew. And maybe he's heard some rumors and he remembers those rumors. And he says, well, I'll come be your follower, but. But first, but, but first if, I, if I could just go back and say goodbye to my family. And again, that seems reasonable, doesn't it? That, that, that seems reasonable. But, but here's the thing. 
don't all of our excuses sound reasonable? I mean, isn't that the nature of an excuse that when it comes out of our mouth, we accept, we expect everybody to go, oh yeah, okay, of course, I get it, that makes sense. Like, isn't that why we make excuses? And, and so I think this guy, he's expecting when he says this, hey, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. I think he's expecting Jesus to go, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it, no problem. I understand that. But Jesus knew this was an excuse. Besides, go back and say goodbye to your family. Think about what Jesus and his guys had done. They had left their families. They, they had missed weddings. They had missed funerals all the time. In fact, they were probably and, and possibly, I, I think, disowned by their family, some of Jesus' disciples, in, in order to protect their families. And so Jesus, again, he doesn't say to this guy, well, hey, I understand. I understand. Go back and say goodbye to your family, and it'll be great, and then you can come back and follow me, and we'll all sing kumbaya around a campfire. He, he doesn't do that. Again, he calls him out, and he says this. He says, no one, no one. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back. And again, we, we think for us, it's like, what, what's he talking about? But he's, he's referring to, uh, in, ancient, in ancient times, when you plowed a furrow, when you, and in that part of the world, it, it's very rocky, very rocky soil, and so you plowed a furrow in that part of the world, you, you would put your eyes on something, and you would lock your eyes on, on, on that one position, and you wouldn't turn around, and you wouldn't look back, you would, you would keep your eyes focused right there, so that as you plowed, you would go in a straight line. And, it, and guess what happened? And because there's so much rock, people would they turn around and they look back, and then when they turn around and look back, they're off course. And so Jesus says, No one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit. Again, this is harsh, isn't it? It's fit for service in the kingdom of God. He says, No, you can't follow me. You're afraid to go all in. You're afraid that you're you're afraid to go all in, so you're gonna have to be left behind. You're making excuses. And so here's something to consider about this. And as I was getting ready for this series and this message in particular, I kept bumping into this question that honestly I kind of had to, to wrestle with because I thought before I get up here and talk to you about it, I've got to internalize it too. And so here's, here's the question I want to ask you. How, how would Jesus, how would Jesus who knows your heart, who knows all of your fears, who knows all of your insecurities, who knows your entire story, who has known you from the moment you were, you were conceived. He, he, you know, Psalms tells us you, you were knit and wonderfully made in the womb. He knows your entire life, and he can take all of that into account. But he also understands the potential on the other side of these excuses and the becauses and the reasons that aren't really reasons. How do you think Jesus, how do you think Jesus would respond to your reasons? How do you think, and when you think about you, you know, the go-to reasons, the hide-behind reasons, the things that, that they're just so comfortable for us, they, they, just, they just come out, and as soon as the question comes up, you give that same answer over and over and over. How do you think Jesus would respond to our paper walls? Well, in an effort to get you to stop hurting yourself, he, he may be willing to hurt your feelings. He may say something that sounds kind of unkind uh, when, when we think about it. He, because he knows the, the kind of person that you could be and the kind of person that you should be. And think about this. If, if there really is a God who invites us to call him Heavenly Father, and Jesus really is his son, and in some kind of mystical, intangible, I can't explain it way, what if God really can't see what's on the other side for you, and he loves you? And by the way, I believe all of that. How does a good God, how does a good Savior respond to your becauses, to your reasons, to your excuses, to your paper walls. 
Well, I think Jesus would do what he did often in, the, in those times when a question would come up. I think he would probably tell you a parable. He, he would do that from time to time when people ask difficult questions. He, he would tell a story because he wants to give a complicated answer to, to a specific group of people and leave them thinking about something. And, and so just so you know that we're all on the same page, a parable, it, it's a made-up story. These, it's not a true story. And so Jesus would make up stories, and, and he would make these stories up in order to make a very specific point, again, to very sp- specific people. And so perhaps when Jesus would hear your reasons that aren't really reasons, your, your becauses that aren't the actual causes, perhaps he would tell you a parable. And in fact, I don't think he would have to make up a new parable. In fact, I think he would just go back to one that he's told before. And if you've been in church very long, you've probably heard this parable before. And so I think Jesus would say to us today, hey, listen to this parable again. And listen to it through the filter of your paper walls and your, your becauses that aren't actually causes and your reasons that aren't really reasons. And I think he would say this. I think he would say once upon a time, right? Because it's a made-up story. And that's how all good made-up stories start, right? Once upon a time, there was a very wealthy man. And he's going to go on a very long trip. And so because he's going to go on a very long trip, he calls in three of his servants. And, and he tells these three servants, hey, I'm going to give you each a, a, a measure of my money, a percentage of my worth. And, and you need to understand this. It's not your money. It's my money. But I want you to invest my money on my behalf so that when I come back from my very long trip, I'm going to have something to show for it. And, and then we'll, and, and we'll talk about it when I get back. And so the man, this, this master, he goes on his very long trip, and he's gone for a very long time. And then he eventually comes back, and when he comes back, he calls in his servants. And the first two servants come in, and if you've heard this story before, you know that they're, they're really excited because they've invested. And they've invested well, evidently. In fact, the first two servants, they actually double their, their money. They double their master's money. They double their worth. And when the master hears this, of course, he is delighted. He's excited. He's, and so he says to them, hey, well done, Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful with a few things, and so now I'm going to put you in charge of more things. Because you have done what I asked you to do and you've proved that you can do this, I'm going to give you more things, more responsibility. And, and, and the, the servants, they probably thought, hey, I didn't feel like the things you gave us were, were small, but, but okay, hey, if you, don't, if you think we're ready for more, we're ready for more. And, and the master's just like, yeah, we're, getting st- we're just getting started. I mean, you, you've shown your worth. You've shown your value. You, you know how to invest my money so that I make money. It, it's, it's a good thing. It's a, so come on in and share in my happiness. Share in my wealth that you've helped me to, to create. It's, it's a win-win for both of us. And so they do. They come in and they share in the, in the happiness and the wealth of the master. And then the third servant, who had been given the the least amount to invest, which just means that he had the least amount to lose, he comes in and he gives his not-so-stellar report. And do you remember what he brings with him to, to give this report? He brings an excuse. Now, now it's important to to remember that in every parable that Jesus taught, there was someone in the parable that represented God, and then there was someone in the parable that that represented Jesus' audience. And so in our case, in in this parable, the people in the audience, they are us, and and God, as you probably have figured out, would be the the rich master. And and again, the people would be us, the servants. And so, so this third servant, he says, Master, he's given his report. Servant says, hey, before I tell you what I have done with your money, a couple of just kind of introductory statements. Um, he says, I know that you were a hard man, I, that you harvest where you have not sown. In, in other words, that is that, 
you don't leave anything on the table as it, as it comes to a business person. You, you harvest where you've not even sown. You gather where you've not even scattered seed. In other words, you don't just take advantage of your own investments. You have made a, a way, you have found a way to profit off of the investments of, of other people. Let me back up and sort of give you the implication of what he's saying to his master. The implication is this, is that master, before I tell you what I did with your money, you need to know that this isn't my fault. It's not my fault. If you weren't the way that you are, I, would, I wouldn't have been so afraid to do what I did, and I would have done something better. In fact, this whole thing, because you are the way that you are, because you're a hard person, because you may be mean or whatever, I, I, I didn't do anything, and so it's just, it's just not my fault. Everything was completely out of my control. And what do we call that? An excuse. Back to what he actually said. He said, Master... I knew that you were a hard man investing where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid. And I want to just hit the pause button on this parable for a minute because I think this is important for all of us. Because at the root of every, at just about every single excuse, even the ones that, that, that have it because it's attached to them, even the ones that we've done such a good job of disguising as actual reasons, at the root of just about every single excuse is a fear. Something that we fear, the fear of embarrassment, the fear of failure, the, in some cases the fear of success or the fear of change, the fear of loss, maybe the fear of admission. If, if I acknowledge and I'm, that I'm making an excuse and it's not, and it's not really a reason, I'm going to have to acknowledge something about myself. And sometimes the most terrifying experience of a person's life, maybe the most terrifying experience of your life, is acknowledging something about yourself that you've never been willing to or able to acknowledge before. And so he says, Master, I was afraid. And you know what's so interesting when, when we read that? Is that we read that and none of us think that we're cowards. None of us think that we're afraid of anything. If I were to say, hey, what, what are you afraid of? We immediately think of people, right? And we say, well, I'm not afraid of anybody. Which I'll tell you is not true. There's a couple of you that I'm really afraid of. Looking at you, Annie Bell. Just kidding. Just kidding. Maybe. But we immediately think of people and we say, hey, I'm not afraid of anything. But is it possible? Is it possible that disguised in our excuses is a fear that we've never reckoned with, that we've never been willing to acknowledge? And that fear, it animates and it fuels our excuses. And if you're a follower of Christ, it's even more important because Jesus' most often repeated command was what? Fear not. Right? Jesus, the thing that he said repeatedly time and time and time again was, was don't be afraid or fear not. And, and so, you know, I'm afraid, the, the guy says. I'm afraid. So I went out and because I was afraid of losing what you had asked me to invest, what did I do? I hid your gold in, in the ground. So see, here's what belongs to you. I, I'm giving it back to you. But I was afraid. I was afraid that you would punish me. I was afraid that I would lose. I was afraid that I would fail. But here's what belongs to you, so don't, so don't be mad at me, because ultimately it's not my fault. It's not my fault. That's what he says, right? And so his master replied, hey, I understand. Hey, no worries. Here, here's a gift card. Go, go get you a Starbucks. And he patted him on his head on his way out, right? No, that, that's not at all what he says, because that's not what love would do, is it? Are you ready for what he actually says to the man? Remember, it's a parable. Here's what the, the master says. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. I mean, Jesus wasn't messing around here. 
I mean, everybody's on the edge of their stone or whatever it was that they're sitting on. And, and, and they're just, you know, you can hear a pin drop. And he says, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew, I mean, you just admit it. He says, so you knew that I harvest where I've not sown. In other words, you knew that I don't leave anything on the table, that, that I gather where I've not scattered seed. You know this is the type of businessman I am. And so since you knew that, he says, why didn't you at least put my money on deposit with the bankers? So at least when I returned, I would at least have received it back with interest. In other words, even though you were afraid, you could have still done something. There's no excuse for not having done anything. You allowed your fear to blind you to the opportunity. You allowed your fear to create an obstacle that wasn't even an obstacle. It was, it was your fear. It blinded you of the simplest thing that you could have done. And so when I returned, at least I would have had something to show for, for, for the money that I loaned you on my behalf. You had an opportunity but now that opportunity is gone. And then here's the punchline. I've got to remind you one more time, it's a parable. It's not a true story, but it is Jesus telling it. So in the parable, the rich master, he turns to his bodyguards and he says what? He says, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what's the point? Is the point that people that make excuses go to hell? No. But if you've got teenagers at home that won't clean their room... You know, it's something to think about. But what's he getting at? I mean, this is harsh, right? This is harsh. You could have heard, you could have heard a pin drop. It's intense because Jesus is, is meaning to be intense. It's extreme because he's making an extreme point. And behind all of that, behind all of this that he's saying is his love for the world and the people in his audience for you and for me. So what's he getting at here? He says weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we hear that and we think that's an indication of pain and suffering. But weeping and gnashing of teeth is not an indication of pain and suffering. What weeping and gnashing of teeth is, it's an indication of, of intense frustration, of intense disappointment, of intense regret. He's saying, you know, you're telling me I could have moved through this, but instead because of my fear I hung back. You're telling me there was an opportunity and I missed it. You're telling me there's something I could have accomplished, something that I could have done for the world, for my family, for my health, and I didn't do it. And now that opportunity has come and that opportunity has gone. And I, and I realize it's only my fault. You know, for years and years and years I, I, and seasons of my life, I blamed people. And I blamed and blamed and blamed and I pointed fingers. And now it's finally dawned on me. I'm finally acknowledging that I could have done something about it. But I hid behind reasons there weren't reasons, behind causes there weren't actual causes. And that season has come and that season has gone. And now there's nothing that I can do about it. Going back to the parable. What ha when that happens... When you recognize that you've been left out, and this is Jesus' point, that you're going to be left out, that you've been left outside, something, you've been left outside of something that you could have participated in. So in the parable, and everybody in Jesus' culture understood that, this, this wicked, not, not wicked, but, but irresponsible, excuse-making servant, he's outside the house. He's outside the party, inside the house. Jesus is celebrating, the master celebrating with the servants who, who were faithful, who did what he had asked them to do. He's celebrating with them. And on the outside, he, he is being punished, but he's not being punished. He recognizes, though, I, I could have gotten this right. I could have done something about this. But I was afraid. And because I was afraid, I have missed out. And now I'm outside. I'm outside of everything that I could have been a part of. Jesus is disturbingly intense in this moment. Because he loves you and he loves me. He loves us intensely and he, want, he knows what we are missing out on. He knows what's on the other side of my fears. 
my hesitance, my unwillingness to, to press through, my inability or my unwillingness to acknowledge. But, but these aren't reasons. These are just excuses that, that, that we're disguising as reasons. And look, if you're not careful, and this is all of us at, at some point, and this, maybe this is why Jesus was so intense about this, is that if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can excuse our life away. You can excuse a marriage away. You can excuse your family away. You can excuse your relationship with your kids away. You can excuse your health away. You can excuse your faith away. Because of something that maybe somebody said to you or something that somebody pointed out to you. And, and you've just been unwilling to press through for whatever reason. Look, I think if we're going to fear something, maybe, maybe what we should fear is we should fear missing out on who we could be. We should fear missing out on something that God is calling us into, something that we could be a part of. If we're, if we're going to fear something, maybe we should fear missing out on what, God, on, on what God has for us and who God has created us to be. If you're going to step way back and you're going to take this message and the life of Jesus into account. If we're going to fear something, maybe we should fear missing out on what we should be doing. And what we could be doing. And the difference that we could be making in the world. You should fear missing out on what, what you could do and what you should do for the people and the world around you. If you're going to fear something, maybe we fear living behind self-created and self-inflicted, lie-infested paper walls. That, walls that rob you of the world and, and, and robs the world of you. So one more time, let me ask this. How would Jesus, how do you think Jesus would respond to your reasons? How would Jesus respond to your becauses? How would your Savior who loves you, who knows your entire story, who knows your fears, but he also, and he knows your insecurities, but he also knows your potential. How would your Savior respond to your reasons? The good news is that God loves you just the way that you are. Regardless of which side of the wall that you live on. He does. So he's going to call your bluff. Because God loves you way too much to leave you in that same way. He's going to call you out. He's going to call me out. He's going to say, hey, your reasons aren't your reasons. Your becauses aren't really the causes. They're just paper walls. He knows better. And if we're honest and we're really, really, really uh, willing to face our fears, we know better as well. And the really good news is that God wants better for each and every one of us. Let me pray for us.